Hello, podcast listener. I'm Sam, and this is my podcast. I'm a 40-something proud Generation Xer. I have a great wife and two awesome kids, and I even have a dog. I love them more than anything. But you know what else I love? The 80s and 90s. That's right. Michael Jackson, Speaking Spells, 90210, Trapper Keepers, The Lost Boys, Glam Metal, and He-Man. And this is what the podcast is about. It's a podcast that explores the best 21 years in American pop culture history, the 80s and 90s. Every show, we jump into a time machine to revisit the history of our youth and tell the stories behind the stories. Generation Xer, Millennial, or Boomer, there's a place for you here on my podcast. So buckle in, turn on your flux capacitor, and don't forget your Crystal Pepsi, because we're going back to the future. This is... 21 Years, a podcast about the stories behind the stories you've forgotten. Oh man, it's great to be back. I miss you guys so much. I know that the episodes are kind of slowing down, but as you know, we do a 10 episode season and uh, with the holidays and everything going on and you know, I'm from Georgia, so you have national championship games and college football that uh, become a big deal, and so you're kind of starting to put off things, and uh, it's not meant to be an insult to you guys. I promise we are working on episodes to get things out. I'm looking forward to doing that. I'd like to do, you know, with this Super Bowl thing coming, it's so interesting. You know, they're going to be doing Eminem and Dr. Dre uh, Snoop Dogg and Mary J. Blige. I'm so excited to see this. It's all the rage right now online, and I'm so excited about it. It seems like we get to really get treats when it comes down to the Super Bowl halftime show. It's kind of like our generation now is being represented. And uh, I remember uh, Prince a couple of years ago, which was probably my favorite of all time. But I also remember a couple of years ago, Missy Elliott doing the Katy Perry uh, Super Bowl halftime show. And I just remember Missy Elliott just killing it and, uh, you know, just threw me back so quickly to the 90s. Um, she was kind of around that era, early 2000s. But it was nice to kind of feel young and listen to some of the music you haven't heard in a long time. So with that, one of the episodes I'm working on is a change in the dynamic of how we do it, which is... We're going to try to do more interview episodes. I keep teasing about the world's largest Karate Kid fan. That is in the works. A lot of it's scheduling. We're adults now. It's hard to get people together. But one of the other episodes that I'm working on and hoping to get it before the Super Bowl, if not, I apologize, but it is something I'm trying to work on, but doing something on East Coast versus West Coast rap, that was kind of a big deal. You know, Biggie Smalls was killed, and of course, Tupac was killed. The Birth of Death Row, Dr. Dre, the uh, upcoming uh, Snoop Dogg. Um, and I do have friends who I consider to be very well-versed in those types of things. And it helps me not have to spend so much time researching, holding down a full-time job, having two kids and a wife, trying to make everybody happy, uh, trying to pay bills and do all of that. It's sometimes hard to do a, a, an enormous amount of research like I like to do for these episodes. So being able to do an interview here and there is going to really help me be able to probably produce some bigger episodes quicker. So that's something to kind of look forward to. Like I said, I want to do it with this real, real, real wave that's coming in on uh, 
this halftime show with Dr. Dre, and I'm really looking forward to Dr. Dre, Eminem. Uh, you know, of course, Eminem was kind of uh, what end of the '90s, so he qualifies. And uh, of course, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige. It's going to be so much fun. I cannot wait to see that halftime show. I'm serious. I am so excited. So we're trying to do things that are going to piece together a little nicer for us and uh, maybe ride on what's going on at the moment. It helps with the show spreading. But you want to know where I've been? It's just life. And I promise to continue to pump out episodes. I have an old episode, as a matter of fact, that was the original first 21 years episode. And it's about the year 1980 and John Lennon and how John Lennon's death has a ripple effect on how the 80s were shaped. And I actually kind of shelved the episode because I felt like it was a little bit of a downer. Uh, You know, we don't usually talk about death on this um, podcast, but it is unfortunate when I look when I look back on it, I listen to the episode, I realize that it is really a pivotal episode and it's really important. So you'll be getting that episode and understand it's probably going to be a little bit rough because that was the first episode. And so understanding the format and where I want it to go uh, really changed after that recording. So I'm going to put it out just because I think it's uh, it's an interesting episode to listen to. And it's kind of a setup for how everything changed in the 80s once John Lennon dies. So we'll be putting that out um, as a as an extra episode too. Um, well, not an extra one, but one of the episodes. So there's going to be some things that are going to be coming out really, really soon. We'll be doing some stuff on um, what happened to heavyweight boxing. You know, I always like to find some little tidbit of information that is expandable. So it'll be something about boxing, which expands the universe of heavyweight boxing because in the 90s, it was such a big deal. And then it just seemed like it just went away. And a lot of people will say it's UFC and all of that, but we're going to explore that and we're going to get into it. We're going to find out what happened to, you know, this huge explosion of heavyweight boxing during the Riddick Bowe and Lennox Lewis, Mike Tyson and Holyfield years and why it just seemed like it kind of just hit a wall. Um, And so we'll be exploring that. We've got a lot of really cool episodes. I'm trying to figure out a way to do one on the two Corys. I'm a big fan of Corey Haim. Um, Always wanted to be Corey Haim growing up. So we're going to um, try to figure out a way to do that without it being depressing because it honestly ends up being a pretty sad story. So it's not something I prefer to do on a podcast like this. But so a lot of the time consuming is how to approach these topics, how to do them in a way where you guys are going to really have fun listening to them and not bring you so down that uh, you don't want to listen anymore. So we got to do a nice mix of emotional episodes too. And uh, so we'll be heading into that. So please forgive again, the distances between these episodes. I promise we will get them out. The show's not going anywhere. It does help when you promote and when you share it does help when you tell people. It does help when you give good reviews because it does help push the narrative a little bit that this is really, really important to all of us who want to almost archive the 80s and 90s in our childhood. And I'm also always taking advice on shows that we should do. So if you've got an idea, shoot it to me, samwill2261 at gmail.com. And if you've got a good reason to be interviewed on this show, I will be happy to sit down and talk to you. If you're a particular fan of something, if you're an expert on something, I don't care if it's Star Wars, you know, whatever. 
I love interviewing and talking to people. That is really where my background is. So if you want to be interviewed on this show and you've got a good reason to be, I'm all about it. Hey, if you know, uh, you know, Charles in charge or Nicole Eckert or any of those people, or you're them and you're listening, I'm sure you are. My God, I'm so popular. Then, you know, hit me up. I would love to do interviews with anyone and everyone that makes sense for this uh, podcast. So don't be shy about that. But today's episode is really, really close to my heart. And I get asked this, you know, I'm kind of an 80s, 90s podcast, uh, know-it-all. Not sure I'm an expert, but some would consider me to be very knowledgeable. And I get a lot of questions. And one of the questions I get a lot is what happened to Saturday morning cartoons. So after thinking about it deeply and the importance of Saturday morning cartoons, I decided this is the episode that we needed to do. We needed to do an episode on where they went and why they went. And I think you're going to be really surprised because if your answer is Nintendo, you're going to be wrong and you're going to be surprised at why you're wrong because there's some evidence to back up what really did happen. And so enjoy this episode. Have fun with it. I am here. We're going to do this show. Please be patient. It's going to be a lot of fun. Always going to bring the fun with you guys. Thank you so much for your loyalty. Thank you so much for having fun with me. And now let's get on to what happened to Saturday morning cartoons. There was a lyric from a band named Chevelle that said, we all belong in the Saturdays of our youth. When I first heard that lyric, it stuck to me like peanut butter on the brain. What a great feeling it was growing up in the 80s and waking up on a Saturday. Is it me or did Saturdays have a magical feel to them when we were young? I don't think they have the same magic today. As much as I try and try to get my two boys out of the house on Saturdays in 2022, they seem to just want to relax and watch a lot of YouTube. But I remember the smells, the vibrant colors, the noises of Saturdays. Go outside and see all the activity up and down your street. People washing their cars, mowing their lawns, kids playing basketball. It almost feels like the internet ruined everything that was pure. When I was really young, I didn't even know what Saturday was. I didn't really know the days of the week. I was a slow learner. But I did know what day Cartoon Day was. And Cartoon Day was Saturday. My mom would put me to bed and my nightly question was always, Is tomorrow Cartoon Day? She would answer no, annoyed at the questions five nights in a row. But on the sixth night, she was always excited to finally say, Yes, Sam, tomorrow is Cartoon Day, as she tucked me in for the night. She would also use Cartoon Day to get me to go to sleep. She would say, If you go to bed, you'll be one more day closer to Cartoon Day. I, of course, being simple-minded, would close my eyes to get one more day closer to Cartoon Day. To understand the impact of Saturday morning cartoons, let's just take the show lineup for a typical Saturday in 1985. Well, you know, you got up at 8 a.m., and from 8 a.m. until 9 a.m., you have your choice between Bugs Bunny, Bernstein Bears, The Wuzzles, Snorks, Disney Adventure of the Gummy Bears, and that was on three separate networks. Then from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m., your plate was full with Star Wars Ewoks and the Star Wars droids, Muppet Babies, Little Muppet Monsters, and, of course, the Smurfs. From 10 a.m. to 11 a.m., the party got hotter with Laugh Olympics, 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, Scooby's Mystery Funhouse, Hulk Hogan's Rock and Wrestling, a personal favorite, CBS Story Break, Punky Brewster, 
and Alvin and the Chipmunks. Now, you'd think that was enough for this party train, but it didn't stop because Saturday morning cartoons went until 1 p.m. From 11 a.m. until noon, you had your pick of The Littles, Dungeons and & Dragons, and Kid Video. Noon, though, things begin to kind of slow down as we got into Land of the Lost and Mr. T's animated series. And by then, kids 12 and under were fighting with older siblings for control of the TV because, as you remember, American Bandstand aired about the same time as Spider-Man and his amazing friends, and as well as a get-along gang from 12.30 to 1.30. But by then, most of us had our cereal, got our prizes out of the box, and had moved on. My mom did her grocery shopping on Fridays, which meant I had a new box of cereal ready every cartoon day, which also meant my Saturday started with me digging the prize out of the box of Count Chocula. Prizes were always at the bottom, so to get the wall-crawling sticky octopus, you had to actually dump some of the cereal in a bigger bowl to have room to dig around. The hard part was trying to fit the contents of that huge bowl back into the narrow bag it came from was a difficult task. Usually a portion of cereal ended up on counters and floors, which ended up swept and kicked under the refrigerator and the toaster. Speaking of cereal and Saturday morning, there was a marriage of sorts between the two. Saturday morning shows were loaded with sweet, sweet propaganda to motivate kids to push their parents into buying products. I don't think there were more commercials than ones for cereal. Maybe it was the Honeycomb Hideout or Captain Crunch getting duped again trying to land a box of Captain Crunch. We were sold pretty easily, though. Kids have no brand loyalty. We only have selfish loyalty. And the cereal companies knew that. If Crunch Berries had a story scope inside, I was asking for Crunch Berries on the grocery list. If Honey Smacks has a free Starbot inside, I was asking for two boxes. It didn't matter if the cereal wasn't good. All you had to do was dump a little into the trash can every day to make it look like your parents' money was well spent. The last thing you wanted to do was reject cereal after asking for it. That would immediately shut down your ability to put in an order based on the prize offered on the Saturday morning ads. The last thing you wanted to do was surrender the power you had over cereal box prizes. And in the 1980s, cereals were doing big business, which was tied to our Saturday morning ads. Every flavor and every pop culture imaginable became a cereal in 1980. A 21-year's memorandum would include Rocky Road cereal, C-3PO's, Donkey Kong, Dunkin' Donuts, E.T., Ice Cream Cones, Nerds, Nintendo cereal, Mr. T's, Kellogg's OJ's, Pac-Man, S'mores Crunch, Smurf Berries, and of course, Waffle O's, to name a few. Being that this is an episode on Saturday morning cartoons... I just felt it was important to take the time to nod to our very unhealthy friends, cereal. Without it, Saturday mornings just wouldn't be the same. Getting up wouldn't feel the same, and getting that prize to start the day wouldn't have had the same feel. As an 80s and 90s pop culture expert, I do get asked why toys aren't part of the cereal game anymore, and that one is actually pretty easy to understand. Putting toys in cereal boxes, believe it or not, was still going on at the beginning of the 2000s. So really, they didn't go anywhere. We just stopped eating cereal like a couple of crack fiends. But by 2000, with the introduction of generic brands of the most popular cereals at a lower price, cereal makers had to cut corners to save on cost. Getting rid of the toy allowed the name brand cereals to stay within a necessary markup next to generic brands, giving them an opportunity to still be in the range of price 
for those who had brand loyalty. So the toys were scrapped in the mid-2000s to compete with generic store brands. Kids also played differently by the time the 2000s arrived. Cereal companies opted for more online strategy. Many cereals began to promote either coupons to places like Dairy Queen, or they supplied a website where kids could go play games to win prizes. Another thing the internet has laid to rest under its unmerciful stranglehold. But let this not deter us from our goals, to which I say, let's discuss what happened to those amazing Saturday morning cartoons. I get asked a lot, where did Saturday morning cartoons go? Kids have always ruled Saturday mornings, though, since the beginning of time. I have no doubt that a caveman and his cave wife just wanted to sleep late in their cave after a week of hunting and gathering while fighting off dinosaurs. Their children stormed the cave at high volumes, hungry and wanting to be entertained on a Saturday morning. Take the summer and make it 48 hours long and make it once a week. That's Saturday. Saturday was the beginning of the party. Sunday was the end. By Sundays, our parents had regained control of the asylum. Maybe it was the requirement to get up for church in some homes. Maybe it was that we got sugared up uh, for the blast off on Saturdays, went full steam ahead for 12 hours, and then ran out of steam on Sunday. But it just seems we took all of our energy and loaded it into one day every week and partied ourselves into depression knowing school was coming on Monday. Because networks were aware we ran the house on Saturday mornings, it made a lot of sense to feature programs and advertising geared towards our demographic. As I said earlier with the cereal discussion, it was a great time to sell kids on products to push on their parents. One reason Saturday mornings were dedicated to kids was because of the cost to run an ad on Saturday mornings. Toy companies, junk food makers, fast food establishments, and anything kid-focused tripped over themselves to get commercials on rotation Saturday morning. It was prime real estate, and the networks made an absolute killing on ad space for Saturday mornings. Thanks to the advertising and marketing blitz that accompanied the cartoon takeover of Saturday morning, the characters and memories border on the legendary with those who grew up watching them. Better than 90% of all Saturday morning characters slipped into television oblivion. Few indeed are those who fondly remember the Snorks or the Orbots. But the ones that did succeed catapulted themselves into the popular imagination in a manner normally reserved for pop music stars or actors. Saturday morning has been a haven for television animation since the 50s. Although the Saturday morning cartoon form was suffered through slumps, turmoil, regulation, and change, it still remains a viable and successful form. Cartoon Day has been a staple of network programming since the 40s. But things really didn't take off until the 60s thanks to Hanna-Barbera. Before Hanna-Barbera, it was expensive to make a cartoon. It took a lot of animators a lot of time to string scenes together and to add motion and voiceover work for their projects. It was Hannah and Barbera that realized they could do cartoons cheaply by cutting corners. Characters were often drawn with a minimal amount of motion. If a character was speaking, often the only thing moving on the screen was the mouth. Character design was also geared towards efficiency of action. In some cases, sharp writing made up for the deficiencies in animation. As the 60s progressed, animation was increasingly seen as a children's medium. 
As a result, animation was funneled away from the primetime slots and into Saturday mornings. 1966 marked an important turning point in the history of Saturday morning cartoons. It was the first year that all three major networks broadcast animation blocks on Saturday morning. And in the 60s, Spider-Man, the Fantastic Four, and Iron Man were among the comic book characters who made their mark on Saturday morning. In 1970s, the Aquaman, Superman, Batman were individual successes. And the three teamed up with other superheroes to form the, you guessed it, Super Friends. Spider-Man took the team approach early in the 80s with Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Still a fantastic cartoon. Like most other forms of entertainment media, Saturday morning cartoons exemplify the truism that imagination is the sincerest form of flattery. When the Adventures of the Smurfs, a band of friendly blue forest dwellers, debuted on NBC in 1981, the program was one of the most successful animated shows ever. The Smurfs is often credited with bringing renewed vigor to an art form that had slipped into a creative slump throughout the 70s. As a result, studios and broadcasters were encouraged to pay even greater attention to Saturday morning markets. Whenever the subjective effects of the Smurf success, one thing is clear. Everybody wanted a piece of the action. Hence the endless clones that followed, such as the Care Bears, My Little Pony, further expounding on the happy, friendly themes that made the Smurfs very popular. Saturday morning cartoons made important and lasting changes to the landscape of American pop culture. One distinct change brought was a subtle but irrevocable shift in the makeup of the week. Sunday may be the day of rest, but Saturday is the day of entertainment. In a very real sense, Saturday became an unofficial holiday, an event manufactured by advertisers and programmers to take advantage of the captive audiences home from school with little to do except perhaps park themselves in front of a television set. By and large, parents didn't mind and offered them relief from their children in the form of an electronic pacifier. Parents, groups, and government agencies expressed some concern about the effects of the saturation of Saturday morning cartoons and what they might do to children. The majority of attention paid to television animation focused on the question of whether the violence presented was harmful to children. Additionally, parents and regulators feared the growing phenomenon of half-hour commercials Cartoons that were primarily meant to be long advertisements for the toys and trinkets relentlessly marketed to children. The networks imposed firm standards on themselves to avoid having the FCC or some other regulatory agency do it for them. But standards were nonetheless imposed. One important decision by the National Association of Broadcasters in 1969 dictated that advertisements for toys would not be aired during the same show the toys were based on. In other words, no longer would children be watching Alvin the Chipmunks be regaled with commercials, asking them to run out and purchase dolls with the likeness of Alvin and the Chipmunks. Violent acts were also curtailed by the broadcasters themselves, as was any act that might encourage children at home to imitate their on-screen heroes. In the late 1970s and early 80s, some of the networks attempted to head off accusations of being harmful to children by airing cartoons with social messages. In the 1980s, NBC took this one step further by placing popular live-action stars of the day in one to grow on, short vignettes placed between programs that set up normally morally tricky situations 
from the 10-year-old standpoint and resolving it with the help of an all-knowing NBC personality. One of the most successful attempts at educational Saturday morning program was Schoolhouse Rocks, a series of short educational lessons set to song which aired in the late 70s and early 80s. Schoolhouse Rock served its purpose well by injecting itself into the long-term language of pop culture, which is to say its message survived longer than three months. Saturday mornings hit kids with a lot of information, some important but most of it mindless. But the point of the podcast isn't the history of Saturday morning cartoons, but what happened to them. Well, things were changing as we were breaking into the 90s. In all of my research, video games are named as the main culprit. But I'm going to be honest with you guys. I'm not convinced at all that that's true. All things come to an end and Saturday morning cartoons were no different. But in truth, 1990 was still rocking Saturday morning cartoons just as heavy, if not heavier, than it was in 1985. The 1990s cartoon lineup on Saturday mornings included the Ghostbusters, Pup Named Scooby-Doo, Adventures of the Gummy Bears, Beetlejuice, Bugs Bunny and Tweety, Garfield, Karate Kid, Muppet Babies, and Dink the Dinosaur. In fact, you might be surprised to know that Saturday morning cartoons were still going and going strong through the 90s. But there's one distinctive change most miss when discussing the fall of Saturday morning cartoons. Live action. This is something that also happened in the 70s, after Hanna-Barbera broke the seal in the 60s. In the 70s, shows like Mr. Wizard, Monster Squad, Space Academy, and H.R. Puffing stuff began to be played. We also saw a similar move in the 1990s as we got older, so did our taste for entertainment, which started with Pee-Wee's Playhouse in 1987. We had started to move from cartoons to live-action actors. While Pee-Wee was captivating, The Real True Guilty Party is a popular show known as Saved by the Bell. There was no way to know it at the time, but the face of pop culture would undergo a systematic shift on August 20th, 1989, when a retold show called Saved by the Bell was beaming into our living rooms for the first time. Saved by the Bell changed the game for all of us. Though we will do an episode more detailed about teen dramas in the 90s, it is important to note the impact of us as viewers to see kids like us handling issues like we had. We were getting older, and though maybe we still enjoyed an episode of Darkwing Duck or DuckTales, I mean, who's to judge, really? The draw of seeing kids our age in school was a true pull for us. Eventually, shows like California Dreams about a high school band, Saved by the Bell, The New Class, Beekman's World, and Guys Next Door became very, very popular. And in truth, we were spiraling towards the era of teen drama series. Video game consoles don't explain the popularity of 90210, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, or Party of Five. Why did those shows become so popular while Saturday morning cartoons were fading if video game consoles were sucking up all of our time? I get that video games played a role, but I think our generation, like many things still today, had one foot in real life and another in fantasy. We've always been a balanced generation. Of course we loved our Nintendo and Segas, but we also had close connections to real life, and these shows reflected that. No, Saturday morning cartoons really didn't disappear for a long time. We just stopped watching them. Like our old toys that occupied our attention and were retired to our closets, we just moved on. 
it's kind of sad, really. All those wonderful memories really hit close. I grew up a lot on Saturday mornings. I was up before everybody else, and I was just a young dangeroso at the time. But I was the king of my house for many hours on Saturday mornings. I learned when I was hungry to climb up on the counters to get cereal off the refrigerator. I learned how to feed myself getting a toy in a box. Learned how to get in and out of the refrigerator. Kind of learned how to pour milk. Learned how to work the TV. Learned how to change the channel. Even learned how to go to the bathroom by myself. I learned to be alone. I learned how to entertain myself. I learned how to be self-sufficient from 7 a.m. to 10 a.m. Eventually, my mom just stopped getting mad that I was up early and just made it easier for me to do things for myself. After all, it made her life easier on Saturday morning to sleep in and just let me rule the underworld of my home for a few hours. If I got hurt, I'd let her know or I guess uh, she'd hear the thump and the cries from the kitchen. It was barely after lunch once my sister won the war of the TV and put on American Bandstand. Mom said I already had the TV long enough and it was time to go outside. As I ventured outside, I smelled the smells and the sights a day free from school offered me. I had the world in front of me. I saw neighbors being neighborly. I smelled grass being cut, cars being washed, balls bouncing off the driveway as the Burnett brothers battled for who was best at basketball in their home. I met up with friends in the woods. We built forts, rode bikes, and sometimes we'd go to my friend Stephen's house, who was older, and he'd play records for us, like Led Zeppelin or Rush, and he'd brag that these were some of the greatest bands to ever exist. Thanks, Stephen. Sometimes we'd actually form teams and shoot bottle rockets at each other. Maybe it was a football game where literally no one played defense, just long 20-yard bombs to the end zone with a football three-fourths the size of the real one. Sometimes I just hung out alone exploring the crawl spaces of my childhood home. Sometimes I'd take matchbox cars and play under our back porch. It didn't matter, because it was Saturday, and Saturday was my day to do what I wanted to do. It's sad upon researching that my Saturday morning friends were around through my teenage years, still wanting my attention. Besides, we did grow up together. They were a big part of El Dangeroso's becoming a teenage, hormone-filled rocket ship of acne and awkward conversation with girls. Even in those days, it would have been nice to hit the rewind button and go back before everything mattered. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's why we do think back on it so fondly. It was a time before anything mattered. Saturday morning cartoons represented a time when your biggest stressors in life were what would happen to Hulk Hogan after Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff double-crossed him. Would they ever bury the hatchet? Only God knows. But it stressed me out enough. Man, what a time to be alive. Then we all grew up and forgot our friends that were waiting for us on Saturday mornings. Cartoon day. It never really went anywhere. We just forgot about it. And with our changing interests, so went the way of TV programming on Saturdays. We moved on to American gladiators and teen dramas we could relate to. Because we couldn't relate to cartoon stories of team heroes that wore masks and drove cool cars. I remember a cartoon called Turbo Teen. It was incredible. It was about a teenager who could turn himself into a sports car after wrecking his car into a laboratory during a top-secret experiment combining his DNA with his car's DNA. But as we get older, those things are silly. And as we strive to be cool and act like the people in the Seabreeze commercials, 
Cool is cool, and you can't be cool watching baby shows and calling Saturdays Cartoon Day. I went from wanting my DNA to blend with a sports car to wanting to date the blonde bass player on California Dreams, then wanting to be cool like Brandon on 90210. We just evolved. In our shadow were all the things about being a kid that were great, things I missed for my kids. I wish they had Saturday mornings like I did, but they have no interest because I can't force it on them as much as I try. I even put on old WWF primetime wrestling to see if they would bite on it, and they thought it was silly. I guess we were charmingly naive, but the point of this podcast was to say Saturday morning cartoons went away because we walked away as we hit puberty. As you get old, you start wishing you could go back and appreciate those times more and more. You realize exactly why we all belong in the Saturdays of our youth, because they were truly the epitome of what youth was supposed to be. So in memorandum, I hope you join me in giving a nod and a tearful smile of appreciation to the shows that made us smile every single Saturday morning, the shows that helped us grow up in many ways. May this episode of 21 Years show our thanks for watching over us and helping us grow. I got to be honest with you guys. At the end of this episode, I really realized and reflected on how important Saturday morning cartoons were to all of us and the way that we grow up and the way that we remember Saturdays. I can't stress enough that, I don't know, I think when you go into the next life or whatever, you get to relive all these great memories. And uh, I got to believe that I'm going to be able to be in Saturday mornings when I'm, you know, six or seven or eight or nine or ten over and over for a little while to really remember it because it was such a great time in my life. And I hope that it was in yours. I know that not everybody lives the same lifestyle and able to have the same things, but I hope in some ways this touched you, even if we didn't have similar upbringings. I appreciate you listening. I appreciate you being part of this family. It means so much to me. At the beginning of the episode, I told you guys we're trying to get episodes out. Just be patient. Uh, I am a one-man show. I do all the production and all the editing. And so uh, I have to set up things uh, to go the right way. And I've got to do the research. I've got to work a full-time job. I actually run a business. So sometimes things get a little thick and it's hard to get everything you want out. I've actually had this episode written about a month now. And so I'm really happy to finally get it out there. But just even sitting down and recording it, um, when you're very tired and you're trying to get things done, it's not an excuse, it's a reason. And I hope that you understand that. But uh, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep punching. I'm going to put out an extra, not an extra episode, but like I said, I'm going to put out an episode about 1980 John Lennon's death uh, that I hope you enjoy. So you're going to get two episodes real quick in a row. And then uh, we're going to move on to some other things and hopefully do some interviews. But please remember to go visit our Facebook 21 Years Podcast. Join up. Be a part of it. I try to post things there as much as I can. Be involved in that community. Uh, Please rate us. Please uh, give us four or five stars. I don't know what they give. But if you can give the highest you can, it would be something that means so much to me to keep this going. Uh, Popularity does mean a lot with podcasting which is why all the movie stars and TV, te- you know, television stars are trying to get in on this gig and uh, push the regular folks out because they have a following. So anytime you can give us a good rating, it means so much. It really touches my heart. It means a lot to me. Uh, again, if you have episode ideas, please send them over, samwill2261 at gmail.com. 
Uh, if you want to be interviewed, send me an email. Let's talk about what it is that you are into and what you feel you're an expert on. And uh, if you don't creep me out, we're going to do it. <laughs> but as always, everybody knows that I do this because I have two young boys that when I'm gone, I hope they get to listen back to this and hear my voice and learn about my childhood and how much fun I really had and how much fun I hope I bring to their lives um, and try to replicate a great youth. So guys, boys, if you're listening, dad loves you and I hope you're doing wonderful to everyone else. I love you. God bless you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being a part of this. It means a lot. And uh, we will see you guys on the next episode, hopefully very soon. Until then, I am your host, Sam L. Dangeroso, master of the Gooniverse. And you were listening to 21 Years. Good night. (laughs) 